you know, as we come into this time, I, I just, you know, God spoke to me very clearly in November. And he said that this is a season in this time coming into 2018 to prepare ourselves that if we will open wide to hear and to see him like never before, he would download his presence and his power on our lives like never before. God wants to just overflow you with his presence. He wants to overflow you with his power, which is his anointing, which is the Holy Spirit. And when you begin to open wide to him, to hear, to see what he has to say for you, things will begin to change in your heart and in your life. Uh, as we come into this Christmas season, you know, I, I know a lot of us are you know, you deal with stress. You got stress coming in because you're trying to get things done for the Christmas season. And then, then you're in the midst of, you know, the shopping and the hustle and bustle. And then some of, you know, you're, you're coming through a season of grief and grieving, maybe, uh, you know, with a, a loved one or relationship or just a lot of different things, financial burden. So I, I thought I would lighten up your day. And this, this, is, this is a story I want to read to you. It has nothing to do with Christmas. Say so it has nothing to do with Christmas, but I just thought it might cheer you up. It's about a bag bagpiper, and I'm going to read it to you. It's just very short, but but listen to this. It might help you out this week. He says, as a bagpiper, I play many gigs every year. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to play the graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a pauper cemetery in the backwoods of Kentucky. As I was not familiar with the backwoods, I got lost, and I'm a typical man, so I didn't stop and ask for directions. I finally arrived an hour and a half late. I saw the funeral guy had gone, and so had the hearse. There were the, only the diggers and the crew that were left, and they were eating lunch. I felt badly. I apologized to the men for being late. I went to the side of the grave, looked down, and the vault lid was already in place. I didn't know what else to do. So I started to play. The workers put down their lunches and began to gather around and I played my heart and soul out for this man with no family or friends. I played like never before for this homeless man as I played Amazing Grace. The workers began to weep. I began to weep. We all wept together. When I finished, I packed up my bagpipes and started toward my car, and though my head hung low, my heart was full. As I was opening the door of my car, I heard one of the workers say, sweet mother of Jesus, say, sweet mother of Jesus, I ain't never seen nothing like that before, and I've been installing septic tanks for over 20 years. <laughs> you know, Christmas means different things to different people, doesn't it? But I, I want to tell you something, you know, even the unexpected. God can find blessing in it. These guys, who, who knows who these guys were standing around that, they're installing septic tanks and they got to sing and worship and sing Amazing Grace. And sometimes you feel a little foolish and sometimes you get embarrassed and sometimes, you know, you stand up for Jesus and you look like that guy or that girl. But I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is the one that is the reason for the season. Jesus Christ is the one that brings hope to a hopeless world. 
You know, when I think about hope, you know, when we look at hope from the world's point of view and hope from the world's standpoint, hope is not what we see it in biblical terms, but really hope is nothing more than a wish. I just hope, or I just wish things get better. I just wish this thing would end, or I just wish something different would happen in this situation or in this relationship or over this circumstance or whatever it might be. But from a biblical point of view and from the point of view of God's point of view, hope is a joyous expectation that we can't explain. Hope is something bigger than your circumstance. Hope is something bigger than your problem. Hope is something bigger than your fears. And when we hope with expectancy and release the joyous presence of the Holy Spirit over our lives, it begins to change. Our life begins to transform. There's a bubbling over. There's an overflowing of faith and expectancy that can change your eternal destiny, that can change your family, that can change your relationships forever. You know, us. uh, we see one another in this time. We, we've had funerals and, and uh, lovely people in this church and ministry that have went on to be with the Lord. Some of you here today that maybe you're visiting, you've had family members go on and be with the Lord. We've had people that's went through business difficulties and family difficulties and sickness and all these things has hit them. And then we've seen other people, man, they've had the greatest year of their life. It's been the most exciting time of their life. But I want to tell you something. Hope gives you peace in the middle of the storm. Hope gives you peace when there's nothing to find or expect on your own, but it can only come from another world. It can only come from another place. And I think that if we had the right perspective on Christmas, it's more than just giving and receiving. It's more than hoping that things work out in the coming year. It's more than hoping that people forget about my past or forget about my failures or my mistakes. But it's really about God coming to our planet wrapped in flesh. The Son of God who came, who stepped off a throne and he didn't have to, who came from heaven to earth for a people that really uh, had no clue of what was going on until they saw his love, until they sensed and felt his presence, until they experienced him and his heart and his life and the glory he displayed. You know, uh, the word, whenever we talk about Jesus, the the word uh, means Emmanuel. The Messiah means Emmanuel. And it means God with us. And we think about Emmanuel who came to this earth, that God with us to help fulfill, to help bring us through, to help us get to whatever the next is for our life. And even beyond that, when we realize that he is Emmanuel and that he is not God in the distance or in the future or in the past or in the far by and by, but he is the God that is alive, that is real, and that lives inside of every born again believer. You see, you know, uh, uh, there was an article I read a few weeks ago, and it said that really over 60%, to sum it up, over 60%, more like 70% of people who are believers 
have never felt or interacted with God at a level they could say that was definitely God and his presence that I sensed on my life. Man, as I began to think about that and over 30, only less than 30% of all believers have ever sensed the presence of God or interacted with God in a church service of any kind. Man, I think about that, how we come and go, you know, doing our good deeds and living our life and coming to church and hanging out with people that are church family and friends and so on. You can keep those lights up. And missing out on the most important thing, which is that intimate relationship, but also experiencing the presence of the Son of the living God. Not living next to you or near you, but living inside you. You see, that's what glory is. Glory, dox in the Greek language, means God, God's manifested presence or God made visible or God seen. You see, we have a God that is spirit, but you are spirit. And when you give your life to Christ, the Bible says old things pass. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away and all things become new. And what I want you to realize is you become a new being. You become a new person. You began to walk in the spirit of God because you are a spirit and your spirit has been rebirthed. That's what being born again is all about. Whenever we look at the Gospels, the, the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each have kind of their own unique take on Jesus. Matthew sees Jesus as the king of the Jews, worthy of, to be obedient to, worthy to serve. And Luke sees him as the humane savior, the savior that's so humane that brings good tidings and goodwill toward all men. Mark presents Jesus as the Lord who touches you in secret. The Lord who shows himself real to you in secret and demonstrates himself through signs and wonders publicly. But John, John is interesting. Remember John, the one that laid his head on Christ's chest, the one that Jesus talked about how much he loved. John, that one that seemed to touch the heartstrings of Abba. John presents Jesus as God, as a God who comes to the world in flesh. A God that comes to the world in flesh. Now think about this, when we think about that, the, the word for him coming to this world in flesh is the word that we hear sometimes in biblical terms called the incarnation. And it's really when you think about the incarnation and when Christ was born through a virgin and the, he was placed into the womb of Virgin Mary and he was placed in there as a spirit, as the son of God, and he was born a natural birth. And once that took place, what we began to experience, if we want to know the mind of God, the heart of God, and the will of God, we can always look in God's word and that will show us for real, what God is. But we can also look at the letters, writ, letters written in red in our Bibles, the, the letters Jesus spoke, the things he done, and that will tell you what God loves and what God hates, what God wants to do, what God will not do on the behalf of every one of us. And whenever we begin to look at that, whenever we begin to realize that 
Emmanuel, the one that is called to be with us, the one that is with us. The Bible says he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, but he'll always be there for you. So let's look at the Gospel of John that talks about it. I'm going to read 17 verses. Usually I don't read that many, but I want to talk to you about the Christmas story from the perspective of John. In John 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him is life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light that shines in the darkness, the darkness that has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, and so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, speaking of John the Baptist. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world, through him the world was made whole. The world did not recognize him. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who he did receive, who, who did receive them, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me surpassed me because he was before me. And out of his fullness, we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Man, when we think about that and how John reminds us that it's this very moment in time when heaven came to earth. The disciples were asked Jesus one time how to pray. And, and he said, pray like this, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, what we need to understand, the, hev the kingdom of heaven, one time Jesus was asked, where is it? He said, it's near you. Another time he was asked, where is the kingdom of heaven? And he said, it's in you. And what I want you to realize, the kingdom of heaven is in you and around you. The kingdom of God is in you and around you. And when you are a son or daughter of God, you actually have the spirit of God living inside you. And whenever we begin to think about that and we look at biblical times and biblical history and we realize the truth that the Bible says that Moses gave the law. 
the law, the, the tutor for mankind, the tutor to show us that we could never be good enough and we could never live up to the standard of God and we could never live up to these principles and teachings of God and we could never live without sin and fear and failure and hate and anger and bitterness and the spirit of murder and envy and all those things. We could never do that on our own. So the Bible calls the law our tutor. It was really to show us that no matter how hard we worked or how much we tried or how devout of a follower we are of God, we cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot do it in our own power. But then we read the gospel and we see here that John said the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came. You see, the Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. And what that means is we are saved by Jesus. Jesus is grace. Grace is not just a gift, but grace is also the son of God. He, we are saved by him, by his blood, by his atonement. He came to earth through a womb of a virgin and took on the sin of humanity and never sinned himself. And he didn't do it through his own words and he didn't do it through his own might or strength. He did it through the words of his father because he was asked, you know, will you do this or can you do that? He said, I will do nothing except what the father tells me to do. You see, I want you to realize today the reason we get the scripture greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world is because we're not talking about our own human fortitude. We're not talking about our own wisdom. We're not talking about our own reasoning or rationale or knowledge, but we're talking about the son of God that lives inside us. We're talking about the Holy Spirit of power and presence of God that is able to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He's able to do through you what you cannot do on your own or your own behalf. You see, he is real. He is alive and he is here. He is near. He is everywhere all the time. So many times we give Satan too much credit. You see, he is not omnipotent, all powerful. Satan is not omniscient, all knowing, and he is not omnipresent everywhere all the time. But our Heavenly Father, God is, God, King Jehovah is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is omniscient, all-knowing. He tells us in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, he says he not only knows us, but he he not only knows our heart, but he knows the very intention of our heart. You see, what I want you to realize today is God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, and God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. And you say, that just sounds weird. That just sounds strange. Well, we don't even understand where the beginning begins or the ending ends, and we're going to question God. We're going to question a God who says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the reason he can is because he doesn't live in time. He created time as a tool for you and I to work through him. Whenever we begin to understand that he is real, when we begin to understand that he is alive, when we begin to understand that he is forever and that he is for us, and we accept that and we receive that, no demon from hell can rob us from God's best for our life. 
I just want to ask you today, man, how are you doing? Are, you know, you could be serving God for years and still living a hopeless life. You could have been, you know, never giving your life to Christ and, 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 and just be living a miserable life. You could be living a good life, but you're far away from Christ. But I can tell you, I'm a day or two over 40, so I can tell you that there may be a day or two over 50, but I can tell you that, that, that there are things if you haven't faced, you will face that you will not get through, but for the grace of God. You know, I think about the times when I was so far away from God. I remember when I was in second grade and my father died when I was three months old. And we lived in the back. My mom had eighth grade education and there was a bunch of us kids and a lot of the kids were in high school and some were graduated. And my brother and I, my youngest sister, who's nine years younger than me, wasn't born at this time. But uh, we were living in the back of a little restaurant called the Sweet Shop there in Inez, Kentucky. And it was right between the courthouse a couple blocks and the pool hall, the corner restaurant. And the sweet shop and the little five and dime store were together there. And then on the other side was a dress shop and then the courthouse. I mean, everything that went on in this little town happened in about a four block radius. And there I lived right in the middle of it. Well, needless to say, my mom and my older sisters were all working the restaurant. Everyone was busy. So in the summertime, I'm just running the streets and I'm like eight years old. Thank God it wasn't the streets of Lexington or New York or it was the streets of Inez, population 600. So, you know. Not a big city, county at that time of about 17 or 18,000. But there was a lot for a little boy to get into, especially if you older friends hanging around. And I used to get into, you know, the cursing and the crazy stuff. It just, just stuff little boys get into when older boys are influencing them. I'll never forget in a little Nazarene church, Mark, I was sitting there with my mom because they'd have Sunday school for an hour and then you'd have church for an hour. And I'm sitting there, been through Sunday school, the flannel boards, the moth in the basement. I'm like, oh, Lord, I want to go out and play. It's pretty out. It's summer. You know, summer just ended. We just came back into school. And then, then here we come upstairs. I'm sitting in an old hard wooden pew, you know, in the little sanctuary. And, and uh, Pastor Art Hobbs was just preaching the word. And Toward the end of that message, actually, this was before him. This was Pastor Quentin Crum when I was a little boy, and he's preaching, and I felt this tug on my heart at, in the second grade. I mean, I felt the tug. I felt the presence, Tony, of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what it was. But all I knew was all of a sudden, all my sin and all my frailties and all my weaknesses, just the power of that came over me to where my little heart was just beating and pounding. And I'm sitting there with my mom. She had her Sunday school best on, you know, and I'm this little, you know, blonde haired boy sitting there. And my heart's beating and I'm nervous. My mom thinks I'm squirming because I'm hyperactive anyway. And, but I'm not. I'm squirming because the Holy Spirit is calling me to give my life to him. And at the end of that message, Tom, I looked over, I tapped my mom, and I said, Mom, I, I want to get saved. She said, Son, you sure? You know what that means? I said, No, I, I, I know what I wanted. I said, Will you go with me? She said, Yes, I will. I'll go. And I'll never forget, I went up there, and man, I gave my life to Christ, and it was the most amazing feeling at eight years of age. And I was blown away just by how I felt new and how the sky was bluer and the clouds were whiter and everything just like a fresh start. But a few weeks later, hanging out with my friends and going back to school and being teased and, you know, I was doing my best to live by the law, you know, not to curse, not to do things I shouldn't do. And as soon as I blew it a couple of times, I said, well, I must not be saved. And I just went into my life. 
far away from God, not feeling anything but conviction and condemnation. And then later in years, I was into sports and so on, and I'd broken my leg and I couldn't play basketball, couldn't play baseball in high school my sophomore year. And, and I'd gotten into the party scene, too much time on my hands, and the partying got worse and worse and worse. And I did get healthy enough to get back into sports again my junior and senior year, but nothing was the same. And I remember I'd partied out of three colleges, and I'd partied out of two colleges and totaled three cars by the age of 20. And I was back home in Inez, Kentucky, holding a flag for the county road, making minimum wage, just not knowing what was going to happen next. And I was at a party I shared with you a couple weeks ago. I was at, at a party at a housing development, and man, it was crazy and wild. And, you know, and uh, I'm sitting there with a backslidden Church of Christ preacher, and he had the big beard and, you know, the kind of that look then and all that. And I'm just sitting there, this young, fresh guy, 20, you know, supposed to have everything in front of me. Place is going crazy. And he and I, for some reason, about two or three in the morning, get in a conversation and he starts witnessing to me and tell me about the love and the power of God and don't blow it like I blew it and just giving me his whole story. And all of a sudden, in a flash, I saw that I was going to be just like this guy I was going to end up dead early or I was going to blow it with my, if I ever had a family, I was going to blow it up, mess it up. And I didn't know how to get out of it. And I'd been trying to quit the drugs, the alcohol and all that and couldn't for over a year. And I'll never forget, I was back living home with my mother and I heard that little knock when I crawled in, you know, just before daybreak, I crawl into my bed and hear that little knock about Sunday school time. Honey, you want to go to Sunday school? And Normally I say, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. This time I just said, Mom, I, I think I'll go tonight with you. I, to be honest with you, I can't go right now. I couldn't do it, but I, I believe I'll go tonight. So I'm sure she was happy about that. And as many of you have heard the story, I came in that night and 17 adults in that little Nazarene church with that little hardwood floor and a little lime green carpet liner about five feet wide to a little oak altar. And this time, Pastor Art Hobbs, a wonderful man of God, was preaching. And I don't really remember what he preached, Terrell. I just knew that I felt what I felt when I was in second grade. I knew my heart was beating and I was shaking and I, I was just like uncomfortable. And I, I knew it was time to come home. And at the end of that message, there my mom is again. I just turned 21. I said, will you go to the altar with me? And she started crying. And she said, yes, I will. And I was thinking all those years from the time I was in second grade to the age of 21 that I'd lived this crazy life and missed out on all the promises and the blessings and what Christ could have done in my life. And as I went up, there was an amazing, obviously I gave my life to Christ and things changed and God put me on a road of prosperity, a road, just a road of just business and out of that into ministry and it's just been a wonderful life and had my ups and downs like you my problems my pain like you but uh, God's always gotten me through but I just kind of think what Mark what would have happened if I hadn't had the courage to hear the voice of God to understand that even though I'd beaten myself up mentally and emotionally but now God is knocking on my door again you see, I, I used to believe we could just get, give our life to Christ anytime we want to. And of course you can, but you won't. 
unless you feel the Holy Spirit pulling on you. You see, that's why it's so dangerous when the Holy Spirit's pulling on your heart and to say no next week, next year, when I get out of this relationship, when I get into that relationship, when this happens or when I get a little older. And I used to do that. And the more I would do it, the longer the time would be that the Holy Spirit would knock on my door again. And I just want to say to you this morning, it's very dangerous to keep allowing the Holy Spirit to knock on your door to give you an opportunity to come to Christ because after a while, your heart gets hardened and you can't hear that knock anymore. You don't feel conviction anymore. You just are numb. I want to ask you today, man, how are you doing? Where are you? You know, I mean, what in this world, what in this life is worth walking through and spending an eternity without God? You see, uh, William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, a great man in the 1800s, lived to the early 1900s, and it's still one of the greatest humanitarian aids on the planet, the Salvation Army. And he said one of his great fears was that people would not feel the tugging of Christ any longer, that people would not, they would depend on, put their strength in politics instead of Christianity, that they would put their, their strength and their, 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 their view and their strength in relationships, natural relationships, not the relationship with the Holy Spirit, with the Heavenly Father. And, you know, I think that's what we're dealing with a lot here in our life today. I think we're depending on a lot of things. I know I catch myself at time watching the news, checking the stock market, checking this out, flipping it off, you know, but every so often I got to check out where's the economy, what's going on. Just, you know, as as a lot of you probably do just in after a while, I got to say, I got to not watch it. I got to cut that thing off because what I'll find myself starting to depend on man. It doesn't mean you don't you're not wise and you don't make good investments and you don't do the things you need to do and be a person of character and all that. But I'm just telling you, you need to get to a place where your dependency is on this world and the people of this world and not the Holy Spirit. Even many of us that serve Christ and may we serve Christ. He's been our savior for many years. We can have our employment can be our God. Our spouse can become our God. Our children can become our God. Our career, even religion and doing good deeds for God can become our idol and become our God. So I ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed today, who is your God? Who is your Emmanuel? Who is the one living near you and living in you and living for you. Your strength, your hope, your ways depending on the ways and the hope and the strengths of this world. You see, you say, well, I just don't understand. I'm a good person. I've been a Christian for a long time, but I just can't get over offense or I just can't see our marriage ever being what it once was. I just can't ever see my kids coming back to serve and be innocent and love God like they used to. And well, the reason is that's called hopelessness. And if we're living in a life of hopelessness, that means we're not living under conviction. That means we're not living in the presence 
and the power of the Holy Spirit. That means something or someone else is our God. You see, the Bible tells us in Proverbs that fear is punishment. And God does not want you to live in fear, false evidence appearing real. He wants you to live in faith. He wants you to live under grace because grace wasn't just given. Grace came and lived and died and rose again so you could have this Holy Spirit living in you that you'd never have to be alone. You'd never have to fear like other people. You'd never have to worry like other people. I'm not saying you won't worry. I'm not saying you won't fear. I'm not saying you won't have problems. I'm not saying any of that, but I'm saying the one in you is greater than all that and he will help you go through it to where it doesn't nearly phase you as much and it will turn into an opportunity for you to love and bring others into the kingdom.